You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Inside Healthcare. I'm your host, Dave Smolar, Senior Multimedia Specialist here at NCQA. NCQA, the National Committee for Quality Assurance, exists to improve healthcare in America. We want to make care better for everyone. We set expectations of healthcare organizations, measure their performance, and highlight those that do well. And we use science to help us build better health and better choices for all Americans. Now, if you're a fan of this podcast or you have feedback for us, write to us at communications at ncqa.org. We look forward to hearing from you. On this episode of Inside Healthcare, we'll hear from a digital entrepreneur who is dedicated to getting the most out of health tech. After that, our Fast Facts segment talks up some new features of NCQA's Kidney Health Toolkit. And throughout the show, and throughout all this month, and throughout all of April, I'll be reminding you nonstop about NCQA's Quality Talks event, coming up on May 3rd, 2023, in Washington, D.C. For more information and to register today, go to qualitytalks.org. Now, for this episode, our guest is just one of the incredible and insightful speakers scheduled for this year's Quality Talks. In this episode, as in our past episode 101 and upcoming episode 103 and episode 104, you'll get a taste of what's to come with all of these speakers. But first, Dr. Liz Kuo is Chief Medical Officer of Everly Health. Her company's mission is to transform lives with modern diagnostics-driven care. Everly Health believes that the future of healthcare is in meeting people where they are. Dr. Kuo is an expert in development and implementation of digitalization to improve diagnostics-driven care. This includes using anything from new technology and automation to updated care delivery models and even artificial intelligence-based chat GPT. If you haven't heard of that, you got to look it up. All of which is to the point of making care more efficient and reliable. Dr. Kuo is board certified and actively practicing in preventive care and occupational medicine. Her undergraduate degree is from Stanford, but her MPH and her MBA and her MD, they're all from Harvard. In fact, Dr. Kuo holds the title of Entrepreneur in Residence at Harvard Medical School's Office of Technology Development, and she teaches at Harvard too. On another note, Dr. Kuo often serves as a board member or advisor for industries that represent digital health, biopharmaceuticals, consumer wearable electronics, and medical devices. I've heard, by the way, this includes at least two companies that are so successful after she worked with them, they're now publicly traded. Dr. Kuo's work and her career have been molded and guided by experiences both joyful and tragic. Today, she is dedicated to using all available technologies, old or new, to place the patient and not the clinician at the center focus of care. We're working to create a healthcare model that prioritizes the journey. And we think about this from deep expertise in the consumer-initiated solutions. So meaning people find us, people know about us, they understand our brand. In addition, though, we also reach and scale for solutions for enterprises because these are payers who or other partners that want to establish best-in-class lab operations and a network of doctors with us, and they want to do large-scale preventive care screening. 
Um, and yes, of course, consumer behavior, patient feedback, and advancement in diagnostics have really helped us build out our engagement platform and informs how we continue to improve with our diagnostic solutions. When you say consumer expertise, we have an increasing focus on person-centered mm-hmm. outcomes for health. This is a lot more about trying to focus on the patient or on the consumer or um whoever it is who's who's a member of of Everly and depending on your services is is that another way that we can look at the aspect of consumer expertise not just saying of course we have a consumer division or a customer division but saying no this is integral to everything that we do that we make sure that we pay attention to the consumer we pay attention to who the patients are getting yes. feedback from them and responding and reflecting back and forth it's is it something like that it is. We see it as a flywheel, you know, the ability to be well known in, by the consumers. It's a trusted brand, um, but it also on top of that has a wellness engagement tool. It feels less like the scary testing and getting results. And it feels a lot more like doing something for fun. We've actually had even people doing testing parties or giving away gifts um, during the holidays. And it feels a lot more friendly focused and um, fun to do as opposed to the typical let's we have to do this screening we have to go to the doctors we have to um, make sure we don't have any illnesses i think it's a nice way to say hey you know why don't you grab this into your own hands how do you empower people to feel excited about you know knowing what's ahead of them and figuring out how to strategize it's almost like hacking your own health okay i want to ask you about the idea of hospital at home Hmm. which again might be just another way of redefining at least some aspect of 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 what you work with uh hospital at home scenario and if everly health is working towards virtual care uh, does that lend itself to remote care for patients who can't or maybe shouldn't leave the home to receive care and, you know and and in the middle of that is the general uh you know the national conscience of going through this pandemic the last two or three years where so many times there's so many beds that have been filled and hospitals that are getting overrun uh, that people just in their minds are so accustomed in the last two years to being told, if you can handle something yourself, stay home. So definitely the future of care is meeting people where they are. We have to make diagnostic driven care the norm to ensure access and affordability. Uh, So in my role, I'm able to draw upon experiences both as a patient myself, as an entrepreneur, a physician, uh, and also on the payer side, executive screenings um, to provide testing and solutions. And the pandemic, you know, COVID has really uh, caused us to take a second look at what can we do in the home, which is inevitable and made it mainstream, allowing people to manage their own medical data, test at home, and even get treatment for things. And even after doctors and clinics have largely resumed routine services, we're seeing consumers really are and completely embracing telehealth. Um, but I also believe telehealth as it's standalone, a virtual care consult isn't always as useful as if you have clinical data, data on labs, data on all sorts of things, medical records. So being able to add that layer is what I got excited about. And so for Everly, I'll give you a real world example of a healthcare journey. Let's say a woman uh, is in her mid to late twenties thinking about sexual health. 
Uh, and in her first step of the reproductive journey, she may begin contraception planning or preparation for leveraging fertility testing, ovulation testing, um, supplements. And then in addition, can also think about pregnancy tests and female hormone tests and other key indicators such as thyroid or vitamin D. Um, and these are all able to be done at the home and we can remain a trusted source. Um, in addition, and especially for NCQA, the idea of hand screening. So being able to get people excited about screening, even though sometimes it's hard to do, let's say we can do colon screens and other types of kidney screens for people that are more high risk. And that's what I get excited about too. When I know that there are people out there that if they only knew now what they know, what they could have known later and being able to do it earlier, prevent end-stage renal disease, prevent a heart condition or a sudden, um, let's say a heart attack, if they can screen at home at the comforts of their own environment, um, you can really support a lot of, I guess, prevent poor outcomes. I want to ask you about uh, health equity. And if you were just doing virtual care and just doing the services, that's maybe 75% of what needs to be done in order to, to try to fix things. And honestly, to try to regain the trust Mm. of patients who have lost trust in medical care and in medical personnel, uh, and also to encourage them more and more to become proactive mm -hmm. and self-sustained, self-reliable in their own health care. Um, so talk to me about that in terms of uh, this is leading to solutions for, for health equity, the virtual care and the aspect of virtual care where you're encouraging people uh, and teaching people how to care for themselves and how to pursue this without uh, going uh, to health personnel if they don't need to. Yes, absolutely. It's um, a personal passion of mine, especially because I came from not only the payer side, I worked with Medicare, Medicaid, and commercial all clients. And accessibility should be the pillar of healthcare innovation, especially for SDOA, so social determinants of health. When we know that it can be challenging to get people engaged when they're you know, working two jobs and just trying to make ends meet. So assuring access and affordability to convenient and private testing uh, that doesn't make them feel like they are um, being screened or that they feel like there's a, there's, if there's already a lack of trust um, allows uh, people to feel like they are taking things into their own hands for better outcomes. Um, one of the things that I like to always mention is that we try to focus on even reading levels. Um, many people are not health literate. So when you're doing these screenings, it's important that, you know, wh whether it's the labeling or the engagement tools or things like that are um, perhaps even at like a elementary school level. Right. And so being able to not only educate people on that, but focus on that. In addition, making visits available in all 50 states um, and then accepting that there are gonna be people that are harder to engage, but if you kind of explain what it is for, even our kidney screen for diabetics, I think another key point is explaining what it means stage one versus stage five. Sometimes it can be very scary when you're looking at just numbers. Um, so being able to translate complicated medical jargon to actual practicality of what this means and how you may wanna change lifestyle um, is important. And you're absolutely right. I mean, we know nearly half of U.S. adults have difficulty affording health care. And in addition, there's a shortage of not only physicians, but easy access, whether it's transportation or other things, to the provider. So being able to do it in the comforts of people's homes and allowing people to feel like they can do it when they are, when they have free time, 
when they're off of work and being able to just drop it off at a mailbox um, has been the key for us and why we've been fairly successful in engaging uh, difficult to engage populations. So let's move on to talking about you. We want to inspire others when we discuss your work, your past experiences, uh, where you are today, all the different projects that you work on today. So let me let me start by asking uh, your work in particular often combines technological design within medicine or with medical care. So did you always want to be a physician or was it on the tech side or to be a computer scientist or and not to limit you, of course, you could you can be all of these things at once. Uh, But where did things start for you? My belief is always that technology can help scale lack of uh, services or affordable, accessible things. And so if you can make things cheaper, faster, better through technology, um, I think there's a lot of ways to enhance care. Uh, I started thinking that I was going to be a physician. I went to college thinking that, um, but then I learned a lot more about the computer science side and the tech side. And then I thought, that's great. But then if I don't understand what things cost or how do I get people to buy into it or what's their motivation or what do big businesses want? Like, how do you get people to buy things? How do you get payers to engage and and reimburse for things? Um, You won't basically be able to move the needle. So I always thought I wanted to be at the intersection of being a provider uh, and a technologist, and then also a business person. So the three for me was the key to unlocking a lot of um, movement. And like you said, how I select projects, I usually look at whether or not I understand all three sides of this um, again, going back to our three things that we like to talk about. So um, it's for me, a, uh, an area where I always look at, does it make business sense? Does it make provider sense? And does it make clinical sense in a business um, setting? So um, I would say also my parents, just to go back, if you were thinking about where it all started, my parents were both teachers who taught me to dream big and the importance of a good education. That wasn't a foundation for me to explore and have the knowledge to understand things in a more deeper level. Um, my father was also an, um, an entrepreneur himself. So he, uh, ended up coming to the U S and selling shoes at a clothing store, mom and pop shop. And he taught me early on about entrepreneurship and working for yourself and what that meant. Uh, but he also regretted not getting an education. So at age of 40, he went back to get his PhD. And, um, I always thought it was helpful to just see someone work so hard and aim for his own goals. And I admired his perseverance and his commitment to reaching that. So that had a lasting impression on me. Okay. So tell me about Harvard because Harvard, I mean, the fact we've had guests who've gone to Harvard or gotten some degree along the way. Um, but I'm interested in your staying with them and staying involved with them. Um, so tell me your, a little bit of your story with Harvard and uh, go Crimson, sorry. And uh, <laughs> how connected you feel to them? Uh, I mean, working with a business school and working with the 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 Chan School for for the MPH uh, mm-hmm. and teaching there as well. So on the one hand, uh, I just want to know about your connection uh, and and how you've built that interest in working with Harvard College and and throughout there. And on the other hand, uh, tell us more specifically about the Entrepreneur in Residence program which isn't generally with Harvard, it's specifically with the med school. So uh, I'm curious about both of these things, whatever you want to tell us. In my first year of medical school, they said, you know, there's this business degree that opened up and not many people did a joint MD, MBA. 
And so I ended up applying for it first year and then got in and it's, uh, they, they streamline it. So it's actually, instead of four years of med school, two years of business school, it's five years total. So they take away one year. So they save you some time and tuition, which, you know, after all the education, I was definitely in debt, but uh, we can talk about that too. But it's a multi um, a multidisciplinary program that they developed. It is. Yes. Fantastic. Uh, I was, I was the first class where they, of the female, uh, that, so they had one class prior, it was all male. And so we ended up having this great class um, of our second year that it, they started. And it was amazing because I think it gave me such a tailspin to think about how medicine works in the context of stakeholders and what do people do to motivate them to, let's say, buy a practice, build a practice. Um, how do you get a provider to be in network with a payer and all these different ways? And how does pharma work? How do you get devices to be cleared by the FDA um, and all these business practices that as a physician, I didn't know what anything costs um, at any given point. If I gave someone a um, stitches versus a derma bond, how difference, how much difference that would make for a payer and or a provider to get reimbursed. So just understanding that uh, just opened up my eyes. Uh, after that, I will say I was lucky enough. I went to a residency program that covered the MPH. Um, so it was a preventive care program through Harvard. And um, I went through a uh, really great program that allowed me in three years of a residency to, to have one year of an MPH done. So is this your mode of, of giving back is working with the entrepreneurship program oh, as yes. well as teaching also? Yes, definitely. I felt very strongly uh, geared towards something called the Blavatnik Fellowship. It was a fellowship that allowed all of us as different types of um, entrepreneurs to join in a fellowship program. Um, so it was several of us that wanted to do digital health, biotech, and whatnot. And we all um, focused on the innovation lab at Harvard and built it out. Uh, what's been really great is that um, from then on, you just build this network and a bunch of different folks that all know about innovation in different settings, whether it's drug development, whether it's device, whether it's pharma. And for me, it was just very eye-opening. Um, the technology office, also a fascinating part of it is there are a lot of patents that a lot of providers, scientists all want to build into companies. And so the idea was, how do you take things that are off the shelf and build a company off of it? So you're starting with development of a device and then telling different companies here, having them try to figure out different applications for the device itself, or as opposed to creating a whole company around one specific device, this is more about uh, building a sandbox, creating individual devices, then for each one, presenting it to different companies and then discussing how they can use it as a tool, or is it something different? It could be any of those. Uh, any iteration. So you spend the year looking at multiple different devices that are out there, companies that could be created. If you invested the time, got investors, um, founded it, and then created a business model around it. You could also say, hey, there's some really interesting things that I could ultimately sell to a pharma company if I just developed to a certain stage, whether it's a drug target or other things. Um, there were also companies that were saying, hey, we built this telehealth platform and it really monitors blood pressure and it, we're really good at it. But is this a scalable business solution that you can build into a real business? And so I looked at those two. Um, there were also, funny enough, antimicrobial 
types of patents. And this was before COVID hit because I could have run that. That would have been interesting to um, basically put on scrubs. And so um, you can imagine all the different ways that scientists across Harvard, whether it's a med school um, or the even business school, when they're all trying to think about what could be the next step for building a company. I was thinking about that pre-existing devices that initially people thought they would use for one thing. And then they start seeing other needs in healthcare that are developing and saying, I wonder if we can yes. retrofit these gadgets for that. Uh, I wanted to ask you about infinite MD and also talk about what the life of one of these projects is, especially in, in, uh, in the medical field. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, when I was pregnant with my first child, um, I will mention that I had a stillbirth. Uh, and so I lost a baby at 38 weeks pregnancy when I was at American Well. They were very gracious, but I found it hard to find the right doctor, the right um, physician that could help explain what happened and then help me get back on track for fertility. Um, so this motivated me to find uh, found this company, Infinite MD. And what it did was it connected patients to um, those world's specialists, doctors, uh, for a virtual care consult. And uh, even for me, you know, I said I was a physician that ne didn't necessarily hear all the signs of maybe I could have um, found it a little bit earlier. What was an issue if I if I did some home screening or home testing, which is why I also I got motivated about remote patient monitoring and other things down the line. Um, but to think through what Infinite MD was, it basically connected international patients and domestic patients to Harvard-trained physicians. Um, and I loved building this tech-enabled service platform to help patients get medical care. Um, after a few years, it was the right time to transition to a larger corporation. So my co-founder took over and we sold Infinite MD in 2020. Um, so I think for me, when I was thinking about all the reasons why I started different companies to go back to your question, I think I, and I'm, I'm generally an opportunist. I think about how do I connect what resources I have and friends um, to find the right type of solution for what are real pain points for people. Um, and it also, as I was trying to recover from my own grief and my own sadness, um, starting this company helped me not abandon hope. It helped me know and be okay with the unknowing. Sometimes there are diseases we just don't know why it happens to us or why things happen, but um, I was fortunate. Um, so I think, especially as I'm thinking about writing um, future blogs and whatnot, I want to inspire people to create their own story um, and consider what could have, um, what could be their uh, own frailty. I know that I have a lot of frailty and I'm very honest with my own self of what, what I can do and can't do and the technology to support patients' journeys. And I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you. I will say um, I've been lucky with support. I have three young children that are wonderful, but um, I think it was one of those things that solidified why I think even me as a patient, um, why I would love to create more diagnostic solutions and care for those that can't afford it or don't think about it or aren't aware of it. I want to ask you a very standard, unusual question. Uh, if you have heard of with your your ear to the ground, your, your ear to the wall, because I, I can only imagine you hear more interesting ideas than most of us ever will on a daily basis. Uh, an idea that's in medicine for a, a gadget, a procedure to anything that you've heard about that 
to you sounds like it's really going to work. It's not necessarily revolutionary, but you think it would turn people's heads and and maybe even it would take some convincing for people to realize this is actually something that would change things for the better or even change things in a huge way for, for uh, medicine. Yes. I mean, I am seeing so much right these days, everything from you can imagine the chat GPT and what's happening with scaling digital health. And, uh, you know, it can now write protocols. It passed all three boards. Um, so you can engage with consumers in really interesting ways with that infrastructure um, to things such as voice biomarkers. I, I think there's a lot of interest right now in under, discovering what voice biomarkers can do. And this is um, using speech recognition to understand not only verbal commands, that's one thing, but also um, dictating notes in the provider's office or improving workflows. But on top of that, voice biomarkers are also listening in on this person is a little sad or this person may have Parkinson's or their slurred speech or they're not using certain things. So I think tools that can listen not only in provider's office, but can activate commands. There's also smart speaker technology these days, like Alexa and others are able to send echo waves out to try to figure out if someone has a heart arrhythmia. So it's just a fascinating time to detect irregular heartbeats. Um, I also see remote patient monitoring as a really exciting time to basically track not only how you're doing or, you know, as we know, Apple watches like to tell us, oh, your heart rate's increasing or whatnot, but can you measure definitive blood pressure and titrate medication, change it based off of what med- what blood pressure you're seeing on your devices. Um, so building this healthier remote patient monitoring space is going to be really interesting. And I get very excited because I do think a lot of, again, these technologies can help us scale. So I want to ask you about 10 years from now, 10 years is it's probably not enough, but you know, at the same time, things are moving so quickly. Uh, development of technologies does not seem to make any difference, honestly, when we, when we're talking about it and between me and you, you know, it has nothing to do with anything until you have the application until you find the people or the company or the or the properly organized teams that can see a tool or and or see some kind of tech and realize this is how we can use this in order to uh, advance health equity uh, this is how we can use this in order to advance digitalization and the transferring of of uh, electronic uh, records and things like that so think about remote monitoring think about virtual care think about digitalization think about just improving patient experience and from the from the point of view of the patient, um, pick any of those. And what do you think things will be like uh, in terms of technological advancements, say, 10 years from now? Oh, so much. I mean, everything from being able to, at you know, especially with your smartphone, at the touch of a button, order everything from drugs to certain devices to tracking and sending information out to your caregivers and to loved ones about how you're doing uh, to being able to talk to all sorts of systems um, integrated health systems is what i get really excited about in addition to tracking um, with all the services of um, you know mental health and being able to talk to an, a robot a chatbot and really feel like you're having a detailed, helpful, personalized conversation. I talk about the four P's usually. It's if you can leverage data to make it predictive, preventative, prescriptive, and ultimately personalized. I think those things can really support what we want to do ultimately as providers for good care. Um, I also believe in this idea of 
the not only the data connectivity, but also data analytics and reaching out directly early on to say, hey, you should be tested for this or, hey, you should um, consider whether or not you're going to have a pretty acute kidney injury. So instead, why don't you um, take these preventative measures? That's what I think about preventative and also predictive is proactively doing it ahead of time. Um, Personalized is something that I think is, of course, what technology is going to help us strive towards. And then, uh, of course, what I know a lot in AI, right? We're also seeing things such as prior authorization. It's a bane sometimes for providers, um, but it does prevent fraud, waste, and abuse. And so uh, even at Elevance in the past, I worked on prior authorization. So I can reach into medical records and say, I know you need an, an MRI for your knee. The reality is uh, we can't authorize that until we've checked the boxes. You've been on pain meds. It hasn't helped. You x-ray didn't show anything, this and that. Now we can actually reach into medical records, pull it out and say, you're automatically prior auth. You you are approved for certain things. Um, That's the future of where I think care can go and what AI can do to support all the extra paperwork that is unnecessary. Um, And what's also interesting is there's some issues about what we talk about for AI and healthcare um, biases. And so making sure that you don't repeat biases, but that you are proactive and understanding what the black box information of where AI is predicting things. So for example, even at Elevance, we only prior auth things automatically to approve. We didn't deny. Denial still had to come from a human person so that we could double check why it was denied. Um, so the future of care could be really interesting in all these different spaces with AI and supporting blockchain and all the different things. Um, even blockchain, I think, could be really interesting if you give access to people for your healthcare records based off of information and based off of keys that you allow for. Um, I think all of this will really change in the coming months, if not years. So when it comes to entrepreneurship, we're talking about somebody having an idea and trying to figure out how do I actuate this idea? How do I bring it to life? Where do you start when you have an idea or somebody comes to you with an idea for actual hardware or software? uh, And then where would you advise somebody off the top of your head now uh, if they wanted to get started? What would be the first practical steps for them to do? Instead of being afraid of doing anything, they got to be able to do something. So where should they start? Sure. Uh, So I often give people advice to prove your competence early in interactions and say out loud what you want so that people can be stewards of your journey. Uh, It's almost like manifesting your own uh, thoughts into actions and thoughts and beliefs are very powerful. You know, they translate into a lot of opportunities. And I think what I also tell people is you have to believe in yourself um, and don't let people tell you otherwise. Uh, And even as an entrepreneur, I focus a lot in my pitches, less on myself and what I offer. Uh, But I explain how I'm I'm gonna solve people's problems, how I'll work with them for a win-win situation. Um, I think a lot about what the other person wants. And I've always enjoyed building connections quickly, but I'm also not afraid to ask difficult questions to get to the root of what people are struggling with. Whether it's thinking about pain points for consumers or you're a partner that you're trying to build a relationship with. I also think when I was early in my career, I spent a lot of time refining myself, believing I um, was quite critical of myself and it helped me improve a lot. But I think at some point you also have to be kind and true to how you feel and know that there's going to be ups and downs of any journey, especially in building devices and 
the ups and downs of FDA approval and are you going to get through this milestone? Um, so it's just knowing that sometimes you have to ride the wave and being calm about it. Um, so unlike circumstances at birth or inherited IQs, we grow personally by adding skills. Um, I personally grew from my own setbacks, health setbacks, um, having to wind companies down, doing things that were hard. Um, but I definitely add skills to also my own life every day. I'm always reading market analysis. I'm always working on things like this with public speaking and trying to improve the messaging, um, but also traits like patience and humility. And ultimately, I do try to practice my own advice, um, spend more in time right now, also understanding the government and healthcare insurance space and stakeholders. Uh, so it's a really complex ecosystem, but I do believe health tech companies and all of us trying to partner with um, NCQA and all these great programs with the government, with regulators to understand how we can push the future of care is really important um, because innovation comes from everyone working together. And these partnerships are incredibly useful to make, for, make sure we have affordable and accessible care for all. Everly Health Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Liz Kuo, doing all she can to bring health to everyone who needs it. Again, you can hear more from Dr. Kuo and even meet her in person in one of our speaker salons at NCQA's 2023 Quality Talks event in DC. More details to come later in the show. Some fast facts for you now as we provide in each episode. Did you know that March is Kidney Health Awareness Month? Well, we certainly do, and NCQA has an amazing kidney health toolkit featuring resources on kidney health and chronic kidney disease, also known as CKD, for use with patients, providers, health plans, and health systems. In fact, we've updated our toolkit this year to include a brand new population health roadmap for chronic kidney disease. I'll include links to the toolkit and to a blog post which summarizes the roadmaps for landmarks. So here are some fast facts about CKD. These numbers and tips, by the way, are gathered from both our population health roadmap and from teaching tools designed by the National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases, a subsidiary of NIH. More than one in seven adults in the United States are believed to have CKD. That's about 37 million people. Early onset kidney disease has no symptoms. As many as 90% of people who have it don't even know it. And if you're over 60 and you have a history of diabetes, of hypertension, high blood pressure, and or heart disease, you are at risk, higher risk for kidney disease. And of course, if you have a family history of kidney disease and especially kidney failure in your family, it's best to get checked using both standard urine and blood tests. Find out more about kidney health and health risks by clicking the links in this episode's description. As for NCQA's updated kidney health toolkit, check out our website for details. Oh, and we'll be doing a future episode of this podcast featuring interviews telling you all about our new population health roadmap. So as always, don't touch that dial. All right, I may be a broken record here, but I'm a proud and excited broken record, so I'm going to say it again. It's almost time for NCQA's Quality Talks. May 3rd in Washington, D.C., the Capitol Hilton Hotel will see a wealth of inspiring speakers, all on the same stage, each with only about 10 minutes to address and impress. 
and after they speak, each block of speakers then retreats to their own speaker salon, where you can meet them and ask them about anything having to do with their talk, from health equity to digitalization, from health tech to hospital at home. Yes, quality talks will be live streamed if you can't make it, but trust me, if you can, by any means, you should be there in person. Seating is limited, so register now. For more information or to view speaker presentations from past years, go to qualitytalks.org. You won't want to miss it. Now, Quality Talks is an incredible opportunity, but it's only one day. Join us in October in Orlando, Florida for our second annual Health Innovation Summit. For three days beginning October 23, 2023, this will be the place to connect with quality and care delivery innovators. Enjoy our speakers, panels, training sessions, and an exhibit showcase floor. Stay updated on the latest summit details. Go to www.ncqasummit, that's all one word, ncqasummit.com right now for more. As we do on each episode of Inside Healthcare, we now ask for your thoughts on today's show. Email us at communications at ncqa.org anytime. And be sure to include the words inside healthcare in the subject line. That way it's easier to find you. If you're coming up empty for something to say, well, here's a question for this episode. What event in your life impelled you to change your career's direction? So think about it and then tell us about it. And if you have a comment, a suggestion, an idea for a guest on our show, maybe you'd like to be that guest, just email us and let us know. Communications at ncqa.org. And be sure to write Inside Healthcare in the subject line of your email. Hope to hear from you soon. That's it for episode 102 of NCQA's Inside Healthcare podcast. Thanks for joining us. This episode's done, but there are plenty that came before it for you to explore and investigate. You can find us at blog.ncqa.org or find us on any Apple or Google streaming app. Whether you download the show or you stream it, if you find the show, then follow us and spread the word. Help us build our audience by letting others know about NCQA's work. If you haven't done so already, connect with NCQA on LinkedIn and Twitter. You'll get video promos for this show to share with your friends and colleagues. And as always, we thank you, our loyal listener, for helping our audience continue to grow. On behalf of our award-winning NCQA communications team, I'm Dave Smolar, and we'll see you again, no doubt. You've been listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast brought to you by NCQA the National Committee for Quality Assurance. Inside Healthcare is available on your computer or mobile device through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and on our blog at blog.ncqa.org forward slash podcast. <laughs>